Um, as they're gathering, you know, just one more story. I don't think we, did we talk about Aladdin yet? Um, Aladdin or Aladdin. Uh, uh, he was, he was an interesting uh, person that we met. He was from Syria, now lives in Lebanon, and uh, he was, he was Muslim and he was studying law and it was a law, and I'm not sure exactly what it was called, but it was one that the, the Muslims uh, did not, uh, what was the word? They did not, uh, not just like, they did not agree with this law, would taught things that opposed uh, doctrine um, for, for Islam, and so they were against it. They found out that he was in this law as a Muslim, therefore they captured him, ISIS captured him, and they took him in uh, to several different uh, uh, camps uh, where he was tortured uh, in various ways and various times, and as one camp was uh, kind of shut down because of various ways, he was just moved to another one and moved to another one, and it was in this process that he began to greatly question Islam. He began to greatly, greatly question, is this a law that, that we serve as God? Is this right? Is this really the truth of this faith? And as he began to wrestle with it more and more, he realized, no, this is not what I believe. I don't believe in this. This can't be what is right. And so through that, God used uh, just that situation to bring him to Christianity, where now he has believed in Jesus Christ, and he was able to escape uh, the 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 camps that he was in, he made it across to Lebanon, where then he was living with his uncle and his cousins. They then found out that he was a Christian, and so then they came into his room. They tried to kill him. They had, they had ropes, they had sticks, they had electrical wire where they were going to kill him. Uh, but then a neighbor came in uh, while they were attacking him, kind of broke it up. He got up and escaped, and now he's just kind of on the street, and he's moving from place to place, and the church is helping him and coming alongside him. Uh, but what is, what is neat is just ISIS and, and all of the horribleness that it does. God is using that as a means of awakening people to the lies of that religion. Well, to the truth of what that religion truly stands for and showing that it doesn't truly worship God. It's not a loving religion. And God is using that to then bring people into faith. And, and so... We had the opportunity to meet. Um, Aladdin was one of the only people we knew who went through great persecution. In the first three days, like all he did was sleep. Like all he did was sleep. He was just so happy just to just have a bed where he could sleep in and he wasn't worried what would happen to him as he slept. And so that is very much the condition of many Christians uh, who are over there. And that is the fear that many Muslims have if they convert to Christianity, what would happen to them? And so we need to be praying for boldness of Christians. We need to pray, be praying that God would continue to work for those who are struggling on making that decision, that they would, and the church would come alongside them and encourage them and help them. And so uh, please let us continue to be praying for them. Uh, transition now into the sermon today. Uh, we are in 1 John. We've been making our way through 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. And today, we're going to talk about love. Isn't that great? Wonderful, easy topic like love. Love is one of the topics written most about, sung most about, talked most about. In fact, just earlier today, I thought, well, let's just see. So I jumped on Amazon. I just put books on love. Over 200,000 books came up right away. 
I did not search them all. And then so I said, well, that's, that's fun. Let's just see how many songs would come up. And just so you know, when you type in a topic that's huge, uh, it just says over 200,000 are found. So that's also what happened with love songs on Amazon. So then I just went to, what are popular love songs? Because I was just wondering. Uh, there's always the I Will Love You by Whitney Houston. Many of you know that, right? Some of you are singing it in your head. Uh, I won't. When a man loves a woman, can't help falling in love. We Belong Together by Mariah Carey, or very much more present day, The Love Story by Taylor Swift. Uh, Tina Turner's favorite, uh, What's Love Got to Do With It? Does anyone remember that one? That's like the song that goes through my, well, no, just that line actually goes through my head like every day. And whenever my kids say something, I'm like, well, what's love? Yeah, so every day. I don't know why. Um, But today, we're going to see that love has everything to do with Christianity, with the way we live our lives, with the gospel. The love has everything to do with this. And in fact, our love for one another is one of the primary ways we can have confidence that we are a Christian. And so John is writing this letter to Christians who are struggling in their faith. They had many people leave. Uh, Remember, there was an anti-Christ movement, people who were preaching and denying Jesus Christ. And so many people have left the church. They're struggling in their faith. John is writing that they would have confidence. And he's letting them know, you can know that you are of the faith, that you are truly saved if you have love for one another. So he's going to unpack that in our passage today. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. We stand here as we read God's Word, and we're going to read verses 11 through 24 in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Father, you have given us your word. You've given us your word, and we know that your Spirit works through the word. He works through it that that he would reveal to us the truth of your word, which always points us toward the truth of Jesus Christ, your son who has come to die on a cross, that we could be forgiven of sins, adopted into your family, have eternal life, be given spiritual life, that we would love one another. And God, we know that your word works, and your spirit works, 
so that as we hear your word, that we would abide in you. We would remain in you. We would continue to trust in you. We would know that you are our King and our Lord. And because of that, we now live obedient lives. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come to this passage that John is writing, that we would have confidence. And this confidence is largely based upon the fact that now we love one another. I pray, help us to, help us to honestly read this passage. May your Spirit work through it. May your Spirit work to ignite in our hearts a passion to love one another all the more. And where we don't love one another, God, convict us. God, move us towards love. Lord, expose any areas in our hearts where we are not loving others. God, help us to see the truth of your word. Help us to rejoice in the truth of your word. Help us to see that it is your gospel, a gospel that demonstrates love, that not only saves us, but now shapes the very way in which we live. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. And uh, Chris, if it gets too cold, do you want to? I don't know if it's cold. Is anyone cold? Everyone's good. Some people are cold. Some people are not. Chris, it's in your hands. Turn on the heat, man. Um, all right. We're going we're gonna to make our way through. Uh, we're going to start. Throughout this passage, love is the distinguishing mark of God's people. We see verse 11. From the beginning. The message has been from the beginning that we would love one another. The evidence that one has been saved by the gospel is that they love one another. This has always been the message of God's word. In fact, if you go back to the Ten Commandments, uh, the first four are largely how we love God, and the last six are largely from our love for God, or out of our love for God, we now love one another. We have honor your mother and father. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. All of these are about how we love one another. In fact, as we go out of the Ten Commandments into uh, Exodus 20 and 21 and 22, and we read about all these laws about keeping our ox from goring other people and how do we make restitution to other people. And some of these things just sound strange because they're very culturally different than the way we live now. You could sum them all up, and it's how we love one another. That's the point. He's fleshing out how we love. When Jesus sums up the law, the uh, young religious ruler comes up to him and says, what is the greatest commandment? And this is how Jesus responds in Matthew 22, verse 37. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then he says, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. Everything in the Old Testament hinges on understanding that. That we understand God is working, that we would love Him, and out of a love for Him, we would then love one another. And we see it carried on all the way through the New Testament. Paul in Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do you know it's okay to be competitive in showing honor and love to one another? That we just want to express love to each other? Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus said in John 15.12, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. So he bases love 
based on how I have loved you. So his example of love is how we love. Jesus again said in John 13, 35, by this, now he's about to say what this is, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. How? How will people know if we are God's disciples? If you have love for one another. It's not your church attendance. It's not your your Bible memorization, which is all good, but it is the very outworking of our faith and that we love one another. The distinguishing mark of God's people is that we have a love for one another. And John's now going to give us a negative example. Later, he gives us a positive example of what it is to love one another. But he begins with a negative example, and he says, don't be like Cain in verse 12. Now, Cain is the the child of Adam and Eve. And he's the brother of Abel. And Cain kills his brother Abel in Genesis 4 because Abel offers the sacrifice to God and it was acceptable. And Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable. And so he murders him. And John explains, why does he murder him? Why? What is the theological reason? What is the heart motivation behind why he does that? And we read, because he is of the evil one. We see that in verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. If you remember, last week, back in chapter 3, verse 10, if you just turn back just a few verses, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. He says, this is how we know if you're children of God or children of the devil. John's very black and white. You're one or the other. You come into this world all as children of the devil because we're all sinful. We all sin. We all rebel against God. And only by His grace and believing in Jesus Christ do we become children of God. And so he says, the way you know, do you love one another? And so he says, Cain, because he hates, because he murders, shows that he is of the evil one. Cain did evil things because... He is of the evil one. And Cain is really a representative of the world. If you look at verse 13, do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. So he has Cain hates, and now he says don't be surprised that the world hates. So Cain is a representation of the world. And so Cain hated his righteous brother, and likewise, we then should not be surprised when the world hates us. And don't miss the fact that John is emphasizing that the world will not love Christians. Do you know that? Like We we act like we know that. We would probably mark, yes, we know that on a test. But do we know that? Does that get played out in our lives? I mean, if you think about it, why has Christianity been persecuted for centuries? It's because the world hates Christians. Christians. Why is it that some people, upon finding out that you're a Christian, are just rude or just mean, seem to just want to test you? Because they're of the world. And in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, so John wrote the Gospel of John, John wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, John wrote Revelation, John wrote a lot. Um, And in the Gospel, when Jesus is talking in John chapter 3, Jesus says, unbelievers are in darkness And when unbelievers come into contact with the light, with Jesus, with the gospel, with the the church, they run from it. They don't like it. Have you ever been in a dark room for a while, and then someone just flicks the lights on, and you're like, ah, you can't see? 
Never happened to any of you. Has that happened to you? So it's happened to you, and your light, and your, your eyes, you squint, and you don't like it, and you reach for the lights and turn it off again. Why? Light hurts, right? Brilliant light hurts when you're in the darkness. And that's the imagery that God wants us to see in the Gospel of John. Why the world does not like the light. Why it doesn't like the Gospel. Why it doesn't like Jesus. Why it doesn't like believers. is because we're, we're light. And they're in darkness and it hurts the eyes. But now, John here, rather than using light and dark, he's going to use death and life. In fact, in verse 14, he's going to say, we see Christians have gone from death to to life, which is why we love, but unbelievers, we read, abide in death, which is why they do not love. You see that? Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life, so as believers, we've gone from death to life because we love. That's the evidence. Whoever does not love abides in death. So John's talking spiritual life here, and what he's wanted us to understand is that unbelievers are spiritually dead, which is why they do not love one another, which is why they belong to the evil one. Paul echoes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, one of his letters, and he starts off with saying, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in the way you once lived. Cain kills his brother because there's no true spiritual life in him. His heart was ruled by, by the death and decay of sin. And you might say, well, I, I know that I'm loving then because I've never murdered someone. If murder is the way we know that, that we hate people, um, uh, then I've never done that. But in verse 15, we see that everyone who hates is a murderer. See, murder is the action of the heart. It is the overflow of the person's heart who hates. That's why he murders. He doesn't just murder out of a loving heart. It's not a spontaneous action. It is out of the workings of a heart that hates. Our, our words and our actions will always expose what is in our heart. So Cain kills Abel because he first hated him. And unbelievers, according to John, he's saying are characterized by hate. And if you look, that's not too hard to find in this world. If you look in the world, you'll quickly find people who will very readily tell you all the things that they hate. They hate that which they do not agree with. They hate which, that which offends them. They hate that which does not act or live according to their standard. And the reason for this, it's not that they don't love. It's just that they don't love others, but they love themselves. That's why they hate others. It's because they love themself and they love themselves most see Cain is upset at Abel Abel's sacrifice is accepted so he doesn't delight in that he doesn't go man that is amazing help, help me to learn from that what does it take to how do we offer acceptable sacrifices to God no rather because he loves himself he goes I hate my brother how can his be acceptable and mine not I'm better I'm stronger I worked in my field and produced my offering so because of his self-love, he now hates his brother. And it's because people love themselves today that they hate one another. And we see this so often. People today believe that they have the right to do and say whatever it is they want. And we see that all over social media. People have the right to be heard. People today will say whatever, uh, whatever they want, however they want, under the guise, it's 
my right. We have taken brokenness. We have taken things that have in the past been you know, what we would call shameful. And now we say, oh, we're just broken. And we've made it into, you have the right to be heard. In fact, you need to be heard. And in fact, it's only being authentic. It's being true to yourself to make sure your voice goes forth and is heard. And it doesn't matter how you do it or who you hurt in the process, but you need to be heard because you have that right. You are important. And it just feeds the self-love that we have today. And what happens the majority of the time is people begin airing out the junk in their lives. And they do that all over internet, social media, in different ways. And it's in this name of self-love that we believe we have the right to respond in anger when, when someone is angry with us. It's in the name of self-love that when someone yells at us, what do we do? We yell back. If someone pushes us, what do we do? We push back. And we, we think in our head so often, well, I only did it because they first did it to me. Have you ever said that? Have you ever used that excuse? Well, they yelled at me. Well, they were angry. Like, that justifies my sin, right? We think that so often. In fact, yesterday, my son was in a basketball tournament, and then the last game of the day, there's a person on the other team who is very much voicing what he thinks about the way our players are playing. And our players play rough. That's the way they do. They play. They're aggressive. They're physical. It's basketball, not dance. So they play rough, and there was nothing wrong that was going. But this person, he was fueling just a lot. And we were, like, we were getting angry. And, like, throughout my head, I'm just going, maybe, maybe we should go talk to this guy. Maybe he's yelling. Maybe we need to go yell at him. Maybe we need to go let him know exactly what he, what he needs to know. And like these are going through my head. And then I'm sitting there going, now if we do this, what's going to happen? Well, there's probably going to be a fight that breaks out because this guy looks like he probably wants to fight. And I think we're all feeling like we want to fight him at this moment. And what would we say? Well, you yelled first. I mean, I guarantee you everyone on our sideline felt the right to yell at him because he's yelling at our players. Is that the loving thing that we're to do? Is that what is that what is ought to control us at this moment? It's because of sin we're enslaved to trying to defend ourselves, and thus we love ourselves and we hate other people. But notice what, what we read here. As Christians, we've gone from death to life. That's what we read, verse 14. We have gone from death to life. Verse 15. Everyone who hates is it. Hates his brother is a murder. Okay, that's the evidence there. But you know that no murder has eternal life abiding in him. So what he wants us to see, we've gone from death to life. We now have, as believers, those who trust in Jesus, we have eternal life abiding in us. What does that mean? What does it mean that you have eternal life abiding in you? So go back First 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. Go ahead. Go back, 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. Page is turning. The life that was made manifest. So John is talking. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus was made manifest. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. So we're proclaiming to you eternal life. What are they proclaiming? Jesus. In this whole passage, he's talking about what we have heard, what we've seen. We're proclaiming to you. He says, we're proclaiming to you eternal life. 
So he uses eternal life in chapter 1, verse 2 as a way of referring to Jesus. Now, here in chapter 3, 15, he says, you have eternal life abiding in you. So who's in you? Jesus, as we believe in Jesus and trust in him, which is now why we have spiritual life. We've gone from death to life because we've trusted in Jesus and now he dwells within us. This is why we love one another. This is why we're set free from needing to defend ourselves, from attacking those who attack us. Jesus has set us free from the bonds of sin. We're no longer controlled by hate, by envy, by lust, by jealousy. But now we have eternal life abiding in us. We've gone from spiritual decay to spiritual life. Now our controlling thought is not, I have to be heard at whatever cost, or I can do what I want because they first did it to me. But now it's how do I love? And it's that thought, it's that truth that now permeates and controls the way we think and the way we respond in every situation. The fact that now we have been made alive in Christ to love. And that's not just Sundays. That's just not on our table group times. But at 24-7, or we're at home, we're at work, or wherever we're at, So now John's going to give us a positive example. He does this in verse 16. And John says, By this we know that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So now he he turns and he says, I want you to know what love really is. And he turns and says, Jesus coming and dying for us. That's that's love. That's how we actually know love. And when we get to 1 John 4, verse 7, we're going to unpack that much more. But right now, he's using the gospel not entirely as our motivation, but as our example for why we love. Later, he'll use it specifically as the motivation. But Jesus coming and dying on the cross is true love. Jesus laying aside his infinite glory to come as a man and to be crucified is love. Jesus placed our needs before his own And that is love. He did that. We see clearly in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 10, Paul says, we were enemies and we were sinners when he died for us. So he didn't place our needs before his own when we were his friends, when we were worthy, but he does it when we're his enemies, when we're sinners, when we rebel against him. And Jesus gave to the point of death. He gave all that he held. He held nothing back, not even his life. And so when we read our Bibles, every time we're coming into the Word of God and we're reading about the Gospel, we're reading about the love of God, it's leading us to understand God's love for us so that we then know how we love one another. See, the Gospel not only reveals the love, but it informs us on how to love. That's why he says in verse 16, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now think about this. John's wanting us to know that we're to be loving people. He doesn't say, all right, you're supposed to be loving. So think loving. Conjure up really good, happy thoughts. Go to your happy place. Escape whatever's happening at this moment. Breathe in deeply. And now just love. It's not how he calls us to. This is not emotionalism. He's not just this, think love. Don't worry about what they did. Just, just think love. 
but rather he refers us right back to the historical act of Jesus Christ going to the cross, dying on the cross, rising again, saying, that's love. And so because of that, now we know how we are to love. So if we're going to love, it's only as we continue to look back and we understand the gospel, which reveals true love for us. Because the gospel saves us by love and now shapes us to love. And think about it. It's now how we love others. When, it, when our love is shaped by the gospel, what do other people see? They see the love of Jesus, right? And they're going to ask you, why do you love that way? Why do you love the guy who's a jerk to you? Why do you keep having patience with that person? Why do you love your enemy just as Christ loves enemies? And we say, well, because Christ loved his enemies. Because now Christ is in me that we'd be loving and kind and patient and joyful and gentle with those who we do not agree with. It's by our love the world begins to experience the very love of God. And in verse 17, John's going to begin to explain it. He says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So first, he uses the word brother, just to make sure. John is primarily helping us understand the way we love one another as the church. Now we know... All throughout God's word, we're to love other people, right? We're to love all people, believer and unbeliever. But we do find passages in God's word, especially 1 John, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 also, where we prioritize the love that we have for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Just as you might say, okay, um, I take care of my family first, and then outside of that, I take care of others. There's a prioritizing of family Well, as Christians, we are family now. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So our priority is now the church first in how we love one another, which is why when we take benevolence in, we prioritize whatever need we have here in the church first, and then we'll also meet other needs outside the church secondarily. But what he wants us to see now is that we lay down our lives for the brothers And that's the way we meet the needs of Christians. See in verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So to answer the question, how do we lay down our life in verse 16? By meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters in the church. He's not necessarily saying die for one another. That's not where he goes right away. He goes to the Monday, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day, every hour. How are you meeting the needs of one another in the everyday work of your life? Not just the big, okay, I'd be willing to die for someone, but, but giving up of our time. Giving up of uh, what we would prioritize for our own hobbies or the things that we enjoy, and saying, okay, how are we prioritizing the needs of the church? And this is how John is writing, our salvation is revealed by our love for one another. So just think this through. How do you love the church? How are you meeting the needs of other believers, of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Like, how are you doing that now? Just think through that. And what, remember, what is the example of love that we have? It's the gospel. We don't get our cues from the world. We come back to the gospel. Not social media, not TV, not romance novels. That doesn't help us understand love. That's only going to blur everything. 
but our love is informed and shaped by the gospel. This means we, we no longer yell at those who love at us or push back at those who push us or respond in anger to those who are angry. Why? Because that's not what Christ did. When he was arrested, when he was crucified, when he was beaten, did he push back? Did he fight back? Did he bring forth his army of angels? No, but he willingly submitted himself to the authorities, giving us an example of how we are to love one another. We live as Christ, and we love when it hurts, when it's costly. This means we're we love those who we enjoy, but it also means we love those who we struggle to get along with. Do you have people you struggle to get along with in the church? I mean, I like you all, but sometimes it's hard to get along with everyone, right? Right? Like, that's not weird. Like, we can all, we all love, we can say, I love the church. But man, there's some people in the church that are hard to get along with. Just because different personalities, you know, some people like the Patriots. Like, there's a lot of reasons, like, why it's hard. Do you like the Patriots? Serious? I thought it was only my daughter. She did. She got a Patriot shirt for her birthday. It's not about rebellion in our house. She still sleeps inside. That's the love of Christ. Um, but then we love others when it's going to cost us. Now this is, see, if we go straight to, we need to lay down our lives. Sometimes we think that, okay, I could lay down my life for someone. Because that's big and we don't actually do that. That's not actually something that we're tempted to have to do on an everyday basis. But we love as Christ did, which means it's going to cost us our money, our time, our resources, maybe our reputation. Those are things that happen every day of the week. Those are things that we're presented with. Someone has a need. I don't know. I'm kind of busy. I don't really know if I like that person. Oh, you know, I don't know. I kind of want to take a nap. I mean, so many other things begin to come into our minds when, pre- when we're presented with ways, how do we love one another? But Christ comes and loves us, gives us everything that then we might love others. Now, you might say, I don't know many, unbe- I don't know many believers. I don't know who's hurting. And so we hide behind the the ignorance factor. So what do you do then? Well, number one, be involved in church. This is your family. If you don't know the needs of your family, that's odd. And so, so begin to get to know one another. Stay after. Come early on Sundays. Be involved in our table groups. Begin meeting outside of church. Let us engage with one another. I guarantee you, it doesn't take long getting to know people and you begin to know the needs that, that one another have. We also, we live in a day in the internet. Within a few minutes, you can find out the needs of believers all over the world. You can find out exactly how the church is operating in different places, needs that they have, and there's organizations that you can help and that you can join in and that you can be a part of. Um, here's the point. Our love must be tangible. That's what he says in verse 18. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love must be revealed. You can't say you love your wife, but don't talk to her. You can't love your kids and ignore them all the time. That just doesn't match up. If it's in your heart, it's going to come out in your words, in your actions. That's why Cain, he hates, therefore he murders. We have spiritual life abiding in us. Therefore, we love one another, and therefore, love is going to come out. And love is going to be expressed in willing, sacrificial acts of service. 
And so we, we try to provide some ways just here at Timberline. There's a lot of ways. Like you can help us as ushers and greeters. Those are simple ways. We're always saying we need help in the, in the nursery. That's one great way we help one another. We serve one another. We bless one another when we serve just on Sundays when we gather. But there's a ton of things that we can do outside the building. We have the backpack drive, which is going to happen. So there's ways that you can help in that. But also coming on August 5th, it's a Thursday, uh, coming downtown when we hand those out, partnering with everyone, praying with people. What an amazing way. October, we're going to do a coin drive for CareNet. And uh, a great way just to help raise money. But then also you can go volunteer at CareNet where you're working with other believers who are helping people who are making decisions about whether they're to have their child or to abort their child, and they're trying to encourage everyone they can to have their child and provide all the resources they can. See, loving others is not something we just do as believers. It's who we are as believers. Verse 17, we see that love, we love because God love abides in us. If this feels hard, if this feels impossible, you're going, okay, but I can't really do that. I can't love that way. I'm not made that way. Or you don't know my situation. You don't know the people I work with. Again, that goes back to our self-love, where we're trying to justify the reasons we act the way we do. But, but go back to what we see here. Verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, in him, in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So thus, the opposite if we do meet our, our brother's needs, it shows we do have God's love abiding in us. So how do we love this way? Is it because we're strong? Is it because we have certain personality types? Is it because we're just really nice? It's because God's love abides in us. So see, he's not saying just love, just, just force yourself to love. He's saying believe Believe that you've been made alive. Believe that God's now working in you. Believe that His love dwells in you. That's why you can love one another. That's why you can be loving to that person who's really impatient with you at work or wherever it might be. And it's when we love, that's the evidence that God is abiding in us. If you want to know, am I saved? If you want to have confidence in your believer, if you want to know, have I truly trusted in the gospel? Don't just trust and the little date written in your Bible, as true and great as that may be. But if that is true, there will be evidence that comes from that, and it will be that you love one another. And just as John is very black and white, you're either of the devil, or of the Father, you either love or you hate. If you do not love one another, then you are not of the family of God. That's exactly how John would say it, and it's almost how he does say it. It's out of our love for one another that we know that we're believers in Christ. And so now in verses 19 through 24, he's going to help us have assurance, but also how we fight to love this way. We're going to see that love is confirmed by the inward work of the Spirit. In verse 20, we see our heart can condemn us. We're saying, okay, there's times your heart may condemn you. Verse 21, we see our heart may not condemn us. So why would our heart condemn us? What's he talking about? In verse 19, John says, By this we shall know we are of the truth. The by this refers to what he just talked about, verse 18. We're to love others 
indeed and in truth. And when we do that, we know that God's love abides in us. And when we love others, we will have confidence in our salvation. And then he says, you have in your Bibles, and reassure our hearts before him. That's probably what you have if you have the ESV. Reassure your hearts before him. So that, that's an odd translation of the word patho, which is the Greek word there. It's used 52 times in the New Testament. 42 times it means to convince or to persuade. And the rest either means trust or obey. Never assure. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why that word has been chosen here. But John seems to be saying we are to persuade our hearts to love because we know that love is the evidence of our salvation. So to go back, we have verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. So when we love each other in word or truth, we know that we are of the truth. We know that we believe in God. We know that we're saved. And therefore, persuade your hearts before Him. Persuade your hearts. You know this is true. So when you have those moments and you're thinking, I don't know. I don't really want to love that person. Somebody else is going to help that person. I'm definitely not called to help that person. You ever have thoughts like that? Like I do, just so you know. Who the pastor has. Yes, like we all do, don't we? Like we're all still tempted to be like Cain. We're all still tempted to go, I don't have the time. I'm busy. I already helped someone else. I filled my quota for the month. You know, whatever it may be. But what we understand is that as we have those thoughts, what do we do? We're to persuade ourselves with the truth, the evidence of our salvation, is that we love one another. So therefore, let me love one another. And then we read at the end of that, verse 20, God is greater than our hearts, knows everything. We're to remind ourselves, God, God sees my heart. Not only am I to persuade my heart when, it, when it's telling me not to love, but I know God knows my heart. He sees exactly what I'm thinking. So as private as my thoughts may be, the fact that I don't really want to love this person, God sees that. He knows exactly my motive for not helping this person. And so what do we do at these moments? How do we fight? First, you remind yourself the truth of God's word. The truth that God's love abides in you and that it's by your love you know that you're saved. Second, you, you remember God knows my heart. If I'm having condemnation at this moment, how much more as I stand before God for not loving others? So persuade your heart to continue to act the way that God has called us to. It's because of these truths that we persuade our hearts, we convince our hearts that we're to love. And then notice we have confidence in verses 21 and 22. John shows this, this fighting produces confidence. We will have confidence before God. Don't you want confidence before God? He wants us to have confidence before God. He doesn't want anyone showing up on that day going, is he going to let me in? Is he not going to let me in? That's the whole point of 1 John. He wants us to have confidence that as, as Christ comes, that we will be embraced by him and we will spend eternal life with him. And one way we know that is by loving one another and fighting and persuading our hearts to love one another. And secondly, we see we'll have confidence uh, that when we pray, God will hear us. Do you understand what he's saying? If we don't love others, why would we think God is going to answer our prayers? You might be here today and go, man, I pray a lot and God never answers my prayers. 
Well, he might, and he just answers them very differently than what you think. That's always a possibility. Or he's not answering them because you're not living as he's called you to, which maybe means you're not a believer. And so first and foremost, it would be repent and believe in Jesus Christ today. Experience that life within you, the God's love abiding in you. Experience that first. Or it might be leading you to repentance going right now, man, I know that I'm a believer, but I've actually been been kind of reverting back to Cain. I haven't been living as God has called me to. I haven't been loving my neighbor. I haven't been sacrificing my time and my money and my resources. I've been kind of living as if everything is about me. I haven't helped anyone in weeks or months at the church. Or ever. I don't even know the people at the church. And so if that's the case, then then I would say God's greatly moving you to repentance. So that we are to have confidence that when we pray, God will hear our hearts. Know this, when you love others and you're coming into your prayer room or you're walking around the neighborhood and you're going, man, is God going to answer me? You can just kind of do an inventory right there. Do I love other people? And if you start coming up with, man, I don't love that guy, I don't love that guy, I don't love that guy, before you keep coming to God and praying to Him about these other things, start there and repent and asking God to begin working in you that you would love them. Because it's only as we love others that it shows that God's love is abiding in us. And thus then we can have confidence that he hears our prayers. And so, kind of in summary, John gives us two tests. And we see that in verse 23. He says, And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So, so how do we know if we trust in Jesus? How do we have confidence? There's a theological test. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the name of Jesus, meaning all that He is and all that He's done for us. And there's the love test. We're to love one another. In verse 24, He kind of builds on that. Whoever keeps His commandments, what commandments? Believe in the name of Jesus, love one another, abides in God. So there's our test there at the end. Theologically, do we believe in the name of Jesus? Secondly, the love test. Do I love other people? And if we do, have great confidence God abides in you and you in God. Isn't that amazing? There's like this working. He abides in us. We abide in Him. He says, and by this we know that He abides in us. And now He's going to begin to move us into understanding the Spirit and by the Spirit whom He has given to us. And we're going to read more about the Spirit next week. Chris Gorman's going to be preaching that one. Um. The Spirit is the very one who works in our hearts that we would love. When we read that God abides in us, it's His Spirit that abides in us. When we read that Christ abides in us, it's the Spirit of Christ who abides in us. When we read eternal life abides in us, that's the Spirit. So all of this abiding in us is the work that the Spirit does in us. So you want to know if the Spirit's in you working? Do you believe in Jesus? And do you keep the commands of God? Love one another. And so my prayer is that we as a church, we would love. That we would greatly love one another. And it's going to hurt. And it's going to be costly. There's projects I have at my house and my wife and I joke around. Man, I could get these done faster at times if we just didn't have any people in the church and if we didn't have friends and we didn't help anyone else. But that, what does that do? It always prioritizes our own house, our own kingdom. And it's easy to default in that. But how do we sacrifice our very desires, our very thoughts, the very things that we want to do so we can help one another. Because as we do that, 
We have assurance in our salvation. We're showing the love of Christ to one another. We're experiencing his abiding in us, the work of the Spirit in us. We're going to know that God hears us when we pray. We're going to have great confidence on the day that Christ returns. So let us be a church that loves one another. We know that loving is necessary because God abides in us. He is loving, therefore we are love. And is the means in which we have assurance. And I want you to have assurance. I want to grow in my assurance. So let us love as God has loved us. We're going to pray, and I'm going to ask the men to come forward, and we're going to take communion. And largely, when we take communion, just so you know, we are celebrating the very love of God at that time. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that you've given to us. It clearly shows that you have loved us by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. The gospel not only saves us, but it shapes the way we love. And I pray, help us to be a church that loves. Lord, if there's anyone in here, and they know that they've just been rebelling against your word, God, lead them to repentance, that they would repent and they would love. And God, if there is someone here, and they know that they do not abide in you or you in them, and thus they, they still remain of the evil one. They're like Cain. God, bring conviction today. Trust in Jesus today. May they trust in your son Jesus and experience that life today. Because God, you want to work in us that we would experience the freedom of your son Jesus, that we would no longer be in bondage to sin and to loving ourselves. So God, work in our hearts. God, help us to love, that we might be full of confidence that we are saved, and that as we live, that this world would see your love in us, and thus many more would come to know you. In your name, Jesus, amen. I ask the men to come forward. The person says they know that they're a believer. They know that they're, they're trying to share, share about Jesus to their neighbor. Says they reject them. They tell them not to speak about Jesus. It's hard to love them, but I try. I feel sad for them. Um, how do I? How do I love them? And praying is one of the best ways to love uh, people who don't want to be loved. It helps increase your affections. You'll find that when you pray for people, you begin to love people. Um, continue to be with them. Uh, love on them the best way you can by just being with them, by doing acts of kindness for them. Talk about Christ as much as you can. But remember, just by displaying the fruit of the Spirit, you're helping them see Jesus. Um, but we do need to tell them uh, about the gospel. So just be patient, be kind, keep praying. Let God, just as God uh, awoken your spirit to receive the grace uh, of the gospel, so he will do with this person. Keep praying for them. It's a good question. You will definitely meet people that don't want to be loved. Uh, pray. Pray a lot for them. at the park if you need directions or anything uh, contact me uh, and we'll help you get there uh, also if you haven't signed up for the baseball game please sign up for that tickets are going fast